Hi and welcome to Data Hack Radio. This is Kunal, your host for this show. For all our followers from India, a very happy Independence Day. This is a special episode where we will be talking to Dr. Avik Sarkar, who is the head of data analytics cell at Niti Aayog. The Niti Aayog or National Institution for Transforming India is a policy think tank of the government of India. Dr. Avik's role involves defining the role of data for better governance and policy making for India. This involves bringing together data of various forms like official statistics, social economic data, administrative or operational data collected by various ministries or states. Thank you Dr. Abhik for taking time out for this uh, podcast. I believe our community would uh, really learn from your experience and would want to know the work which is happening at Niti Aayog. So, uh, can you tell us a bit about yourself, your background uh, and you know where did your data science journey start? Okay, thanks thanks a lot uh, for this opportunity. It's really good to reach out to the community as data science in this um, Idea is really growing, so we would really love. I personally, and I think the government would also love if more people take on this profession because it's a huge opportunity for India on this uh, area, and India can really be a leader in this field if things are done in a nice manner and good skilling is done of the youth in the in these areas. My personal journey, per se, I have been very interested in the area of mathematics uh, since childhood. And that is uh, what led me to do uh, my bachelor's uh, and master's in statistics and applied statistics and informatics, uh, which then uh, led on to do my PhD in the area of uh, computer science and statistics. So I have always worked at the intersection of uh, uh, IT or computing, uh, as you say, as you like to say it, and some element of statistics. Uh, so that that has been there, and then from there I graduated and learned the tricks of uh, data mining, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. When I started, artificial intelligence used to be something very different than than what the world sees now. Yeah, but things evolve, and in this uh, domain, learning and new things is something that you have to do every year, because of the it's a very uh, rapidly evolving field, and new technologies come every year, new platforms new coding languages come every year and so so getting acquainted and be on top of those things are are very important for the community and and for any individual who wants to be in this domain sure sure great uh, so uh, can you tell us about your uh, masters thesis which i uh, think was also in multi topic uh, text classification so, so you know how did what was the inspiration behind it what were the uh, some of the work which uh, you did at that Yeah, so multi-topic text classification. Uh, as of uh, now, it, it was a very uh, important topic at that uh, time because during that time, uh, this uh, hierarchical uh, information uh, arrangement was coming, like the Yahoo hierarchy or some sort of other hierarchies. And there were several companies that were doing that. So one of the main important things was for the hierarchies was to arrange whatever information they get. Uh, maybe say news articles or blogs or or articles of different types into these categories. The category is defined, and there might be say five to ten or say hundred training examples uh, or say prior examples. They can be used for training later, like examples for each of these categories. 
what now was happening because it was also a time of the early and then late 90s when the internet boom was happening so more and more articles form uh, and the internet was getting democratized like today data science is getting democratized at that time internet was getting democratized and so form uh, a few people doing edited uh, writing of articles there was a whole lot of people writing articles on their own what this led was that this couldn't be manually curated and put in a in a hierarchy so there was a need for a automatic classification system that was uh, there that would identify these topics and then put now the identifying the best topic and putting um, in into one of the uh, of the hierarchy categories in the hierarchy was relatively a simpler problem but then the the, the more challenging problem which uh, i think i didn't invent the that this topic my um, my supervisor who was there at, at iit bombay at that time professor shaman chakravarti he gave me this topic was that often some topics there would be uh, some documents or articles would be relevant for two topics some might be relevant for three topics some only one and some only five so this variability about how many top topics to do if you know always you would choose the top 2 or top 3 that becomes a much more simpler problem because you can do some sort of scoring or weighting and then choose the sort them and then choose the top few out of them the challenge becomes it becomes a n a n square uh, problem when you have like a space where the number of topics is not known and you have to determine on the fly i think this was the the, the topic that we are trying this was a problem that i was trying to tackle during my masters time and there was in a masters as you know at a young age you can do only some delta progress but i think that was good learning at that time and sure and and what was your phd in and in which area did you pursue your uh, phd so my my phd was uh, on uh, text mining uh, and statistical modeling of text distribution mm-hmm. and, and and how this statistical modeling can be used for further nlp based systems okay. so one aspect that we see is called something called the term burstiness say today we are talking about analytics so say if i am writing uh, if say if you are or say data science or analytics today we are discussing about that so if you see the transcript of this document you will see this analytics have uh, been mentioned in quite a few places and that uh, and the, the way it is mentioned so uh, it can can determine like that was the hypothesis of of my phd was that the way a, a word is determined in a document and across documents uh, can determine whether it's related to a topic the stop word or not say things like so if if this transcript is about analytics you will see a lot of mention about analytics in the beginning of the document and then as you go further down the mentions of our analytics might be there in the first one or two paragraphs and then it might be lesser in in that so there is a pattern in the in the gaps in which they happen but if you see another stop word maybe say the of or in and assume that you don't have a list of stop word dictionary now you you can think why because now stop word dictionary you can just do a google search and you can get it very easily why is not required but then you can also see that nlp and natural language processing has been done on new languages and tomorrow if say you want to do natural language processing on on a language for which the stop word doesn't exist and you have to just use a frequentist method then application technologies like this will be very useful because a stop word will have a pattern of 
reoccurring across any document, whether it belongs to a topic or not. But if something of if a document is about analytics or Apple or Orange, only those documents this mentioned this text will be mentioned there in close vicinity. And if it's if it's mentioned one or two, that means only a only a reference is drawn to that. So there are various things like PhD is about four or five years of work. So there are various ways that we classified um, the work there. Uh, but it was to do with whether a term occurs more often in one document and in a, in a whole corpus. That was the main logic based on which a uh, mixture of exponential distribution was modeled. And then Bayesian techniques, Bayesian statistical techniques was used for that. And the parameters of this model were then further used for inference and for uh, text mining and NLP-based applications. Interesting. It's, it's uh, almost fascinating to see, you know, the, uh, some of these things have now become uh, open source libraries, which people are end of using. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's fascinating to see that they were being worked upon. And then that was part of your PhD. So uh, coming to your current role at uh, Niti IO, can you tell us a bit about, uh, you know, uh, the entire data science cell at Niti IO? What is your role on a day to day basis? Uh, and then what are the uh, yeah. problems you're working on? So the data analytics cell uh, at Niti IO is more of a uh, horizontal um, organization because Nityag is uh, divided into verticals. Say we have a healthcare vertical, education vertical, uh, say literacy or skill development, something on say forests, something on on mines, something on minerals, and they are, that's how they are uh, divided. Uh, the data analytics cell is more like a horizontal, so I work with multiple verticals, and the, and the type of analytics that uh, I end up doing uh, is really vast. In a lot of the cases, we have to get the statistics for a particular state to report to the state about how they are doing. And in certain cases, uh, it can be very uh, different from the say, long-term forecasting. And this is a type of analytics that I, I, I learned only after joining the government, even though I had worked for over 15 years before that. Because only government and strategic organizations would require this sort of analytics. Say, we are, uh, today we are heavily dependent on, on, on oil to import that. So, and then we have a rate at which the carts are also increasing on the road. Right. If, say, at this rate of growth, the economy is also growing, the number of carts increases, how much will the dependence of oil increase in the future? And, and what are the things that we can do to mitigate it? So there is a there is a aspect. It's, it's very interesting because it brings in several aspects. It brings in the aspects of forecasting, because you are trying to forecast in the future how, based on the historic trends, your future is going to be. There is the aspects of prediction, because you are trying to predict some of the dependencies of these things on the GDP and also on the growth rate of the economies. Then there's a lot of scenario modeling that we have to do, simulation and scenario modeling. So you are telling that, okay, say in this uh, certain scenario, uh, so-and-so might happen. If, if, say, the rate of growth of cars is, say, 10%. Now, if you say, rate of growth of cars is 10%, but say out of that, half of them are coming as electric vehicle and say, assume we have enough electricity to, to, to supply for the cars, then what is the scenario? In so, And if you have to sustain for, say, all the EVs or the electric vehicles on the road, what sort of infrastructure they do we need for uh, the EVs on the road? So those are some of the, 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 the aspects that we have to, to bring in. And this can all be modeled at a plant level, at a vehicle level, and then all these levels then aggregate and this becomes very important because the policymakers can see the impact of all of these things on, on different things. So this was a very long-term forecasting thing. But then we also used 
analytics for very short term stuff uh, which is very operational in nature say for example we know know that malnutrition is a, is a big problem in india and then we see often that there are uh, states uh, which are doing maybe okay or bad uh, on a certain thing but there are certain districts which are which are doing very bad on the malnutrition aspect so if you have to if you have a certain fixed funds to focus to in a particular state which are the other districts in that state that the focus should be on is very operational in nature but then giving this insights to the people on the ground mm, is very helpful because often the the sense is that the the wealth should be equally be distributed and that and the interventions have to be done in a more equal manner but if you know that in certain cases the burden of malnutrition is more the interventions can be more in those districts particularly and this this sort of insights are are there then we are uh, we are doing a range of other other things also like say what happens uh, uh, for policy making and analysis um, the government has been mostly been dependent upon the surveys and surveys are really good and reliable uh, source of data but then surveys come with its own challenges like to commission a survey and to happen it it takes quite a long time then there is a huge cost involved and time involved in analyzing the data and all these things so which brings in a huge time lag of say about 2 to 3 years of when we can get all these surveys done and getting the data we at nitya are trying to do more of a real time analysis and uh, and ranking of states on various factors and these are factors like uh, education health and things like innovation because which is very important sustainable development goal the 16 pillars of sustainable development goal on energy efficiency digital transformation how each of the states are doing and in this aspects we are not relying completely on surveys but we are relying on the data that the state government is using and we are also relying on a lot of the operational data like say how many digital transactions have happened in the state say divided by um, the population of the state so per citizen how many digital transactions are happening out of say 100 digital services how many are uh, how many services are can be accessed to digital formats so these are some of the examples and you can find all these details on the niti aayog website because this gives you a handle about the things based on operational data and if you see at the data mining and the data science world a lot of the data that we are dealing with are mostly operational data. data that is there as a result of some uh, system like say you might you are doing uh, you are you are buying certain things on online portal that is generating some data or there is some a car is running which is generating some data because of the iot over there so a lot of the data that is generated is operational data often and we are trying to make sense out of the operational data to come up with uh, to get a good picture about the uh, the state of the economy or or whatever it is whatever the underlying thing is so operational data Uh, using it for governance policy making and monitoring is something that niti aayog is doing it for the first time i think this, this is a really a good move for the government got it so uh, you know these are a wide range of problems so uh, so how big is your team and how do you spend your time across these projects so uh, as i uh, told you that niti aayog is, uh, is is working in the verticals mm-hmm. and um, and i am not a sectoral expert right. like because when i when i working with in the health domain health and malnutrition domain i didn't know anything about it uh, till i joined niti aayog there are so many intricacies of the domain that are that are there uh, so i have to work with the people in that vertical and there are uh, young people in those verticals who i work with 
there are seniors and members who also guide us there. So I work with the people in the vertical to get the domain expertise. And then it's a more of a collaborative exercise with the vertical that, that things are done. <laughs> so Nitya recently has done the aspirational districts. For the first time, um, all the districts of India are ranked, are, are scored. So if you, if you take, this is basically a very powerful analytic because if you see, the first step that of analytics that is done usually is a mostly a scorecard based method okay. or which is simply a weighting based method where you are giving each entity some weight and that okay. is then then ranked or evaluated based on some parameter what we are doing in 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 the aspirational district is that we are ranking all the districts on seven parameters and the seven parameters are access to say healthcare education skill development how is agriculture there agriculture productivity, how is the financial situation there, like financial access and financial literacy in that state. And then things like basic infrastructure, how is the basic infrastructure there. So looking at all these um, aspects, we are trying to give a score to a district about how it is um, doing. And and if you see certain districts which are lagging behind, we try. we are doing targeted interventions, working with the district administration to improve that. And this is happening for the first time. And this is something that is very prevalent in the corporate where you see your employees or your staff or you say you are looking at, say, a retail chain. There are certain chains where the sales are not as per the mark. You try and see what is lacking in those points and, and try to revive them. I think we are trying to do the same thing in Niti Aayog because we are in charge of the cooperative federalism, working with the states. Also sharing best practices of states across each other to see how they can learn from from each other and and then take this forward. This is this is a very basic analytics that we are starting to do, but it's very powerful in nature if you look yeah. at the national context. And uh, I'm presuming that collecting data would be a huge challenge because you know something like this has never been done, and uh, the kind of data you need to uh, accomplish these things. So uh, so. Uh, you know, how do you tackle those challenges? And then, yeah, I think I think, I, yeah, I think you have a question later down in your which I mean, you shared the questions with me. Is that what is my day look like? And that is yeah. what it is like. Eighty percent of my time in the day goes on phone calls, <laughs> 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 trying to convince okay. people that they should give this data because this for the first time that we in India a government entity is asking for operational data. Okay. Previously, people thought that operational data is there. It's for no use. no use. But now that we are trying to make sense of this operational data and use it for a for a meaningful purpose and very, very meaningful purpose, we are trying to use the operational data for their development and to improve the economy and the economic situation of the country is something which is completely unheard of. And our leadership and Nityag is completely driving that. But a lot of time goes in convincing people to trying to get a lot of this data. Often data uh, is not collected in digital format which also creates a big challenge. Uh, whereas in, in digital format, then we try to get it. Often there are data quality issues because people know that this operational data might not be used somewhere. That's how the trend has been previously. So there is no, had not been a, f- a very good focus on storing this data or preserving this data. So that some audit might happen or something like that. So there are data quality issues when you work with all, all of this data. Often we have to, drop a lot of the fields because it's not usable and the data quality is not there. But then this is like a um, cycle. Once we start asking for more data from the states, states will uh, will maintain better data and then over time this, this cycle will improve. Sure, sure. And uh, how has been the reception on some of these initiatives? Because these have been uh, are being done for the first time, and then uh, so so how are uh, people uh, responding to it? What kind of impact has been uh, created or is in pipeline to? 
See, the, see that this this ranking and evaluation of states was started for the first time by our CEO, Mr. Amitabh Kant, when he was in the Department of Industrial Promotion and Policy. And the, and the objective of this is that, see, when uh, when the bureaucracy or the political class goes and reaches out to the citizens uh, time and again, there has to be some concrete numbers which on which they can be re-elected or whatever uh, that thing is. So now this ranking give a very concrete numbers, evaluation framework on which what has to be improved. You would be surprised to know that uh, when the this ease of doing business ranking of states come in, mm-hmm. and this is a very key indicator on which States are getting the foreign direct investment and funding into the state for setting up industry and stuff because everyone wants to set up the industry without any challenges. And if the FDI norm and if ease of doing business, everything happens very quickly, they do not lose much time. We had the usual states and, and without naming the usuals, the state, we had the usual states. You can see the ranking uh, in, the, in the top two or top three in the first one or two years. But by year three, we saw states like Jharkhand, whom you would not expect to be there on the top, showing up in the, in the top three and top five of the ease of doing business ranking. And this was phenomenal. And this is there because the ranking framework was there. Had the ranking framework is making them aware where they are and giving them the clear matrices on which they can improve to come up. So this is helping the states in a big way and making the citizens very aware. So what is happening is that the citizens are more aware and, and taking more very data-centric decision. Okay. And I think the main aim of any data science, whether it's in an organization or in a democracy, is to educate the population about it so that they can be more informed. And it's more of a change management process. Like today we are telling that Tomorrow, the, the people in office will make certain changes. It's more of an iterative process. Then the changes will happen over time. By which the things will be driven and it will become better over time. Sure, sure. Uh, interesting. In fact, uh, uh, yeah, now uh, if I look back, even things like, you know, Clean India Initiative, etc., there was a proper method on the survey. and how Yes, the so there, 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 there was a very uh, powerful survey which was done. The search Swatch Survection Survey. Correct. And Swatch Survection Survey, you'll be very surprised to know the 50% of the survey is uh, it has to be filled up by the municipal or local bodies. They will tell how their processes are. Mm-hmm. Only 50%. So if, if everyone will want to tell that they are right. the best. Yeah. But they are only only 50% weightage is there. The rest 50% weightage is on the citizen feedback. Uh, mm-hmm. So citizens are being involved. And I think and that's also one of the... Uh, the the missions. Now, if you have a smart city or a smart uh, population, they should be more involved in the policy making. It's not that you get only involved during the election time every five years. You should be involved in every phase of it. Mm-hmm. But then the channel should be there. So if, if you are responding to something, you should get the feedback for that. And this this thing has to be there. Uh, so that will uh, make it more uh, better over time. Sure. And the feedback mechanism has to be there. And if there is some negative feedback or so if there's some negative feedback, there should be a penalization scheme. If there is a positive feedback, there should be a reward scheme for the people who are doing the good job. Okay. If both these things are in place, then I think it, it will automatically take up because the, the crowd will themselves see the benefits in that and take it forward. Yeah. In fact, uh, I completely relate to this uh, because, you know, I come from a, a city called Indore and, you know, the kind of... Uh, uh, difference I can see in the city in, in general, the way uh, uh, it gets maintained is, is phenomenal uh, and uh, great to see, you know, data being playing a part in, in day-to-day life of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so coming to, you know, uh, the macroscopic view. So where do you think uh, India lies in the maturity of uh, uh, artificial intelligence and in 
and how does the future look according to you and what are some of the things you expect to come in let's say next 2 to 5 years so artificial intelligence there is a is a complete roadmap that we have seen uh, a lot of the countries are are embarking on on artificial intelligence because they see it uh, as a next strategic thing to to get uh, a leadership position in the market yeah. uh, countries have their own challenges maybe say for for dubai it might be a lot of expats coming into work mm-hmm. or say in japan it can be uh, the the old uh, population and not enough working age population for india it's it's more around inclusion and and what we call is ai for all so uh, the thing is that the, the challenges that we have put forward for ai is like um, uh, transforming agriculture increasing agriculture yield through uh, artificial intelligence improving healthcare and not only healthcare doctors quality but the skill gap we do not have enough doctors uh, per uh, per citizen it's like much yeah. lesser than the who standards which i mentioned and it becomes even worse when you look at radiologist um, and pathologist and if you look at particularly the job of a radiologist or pathologist uh, you don't see a radiologist or pathologist when you go to a lab to give uh, your sample like a blood sample or whatever checked on one person just takes the image and the radiologist always sits in the back office and does the job so why do you need to see the radiologist you yeah. if say what we are now working on system is that if a radiologist takes taking 5 minutes to do his job um, how can we reduce this 5 minutes to 1 minute and there is the rest of it is automation there are chances of doing whole automation but given it's a healthcare domain there is a risk and liability involved correct we are suggesting an augmented model mm-hmm. so the, the same uh, radiologist can now service more clients it's better for him he can earn more uh, by doing more but it also he uh, more patients are getting impacted because of this yeah. and this is a thing like we are running pilots on diabetic retinopathy mm-hmm. which is looking at eye uh, camera so the fundus camera and then taking a picture and then telling whether you have uh, diabetic retinopathy or not then looking at cardiac risk a lot of these things you do not need the doctor in front of you and what we are doing through our pilots is that we are ensuring that the trained person need not be a, even a trained nurse can administer this test and give a report with yeah. say a risk score mm-hmm. uh, where at the back end there is a radiologist or some doctor certifying whatever is there so the sure. person on ground because he often you do not get doctors in say rural areas or in hilly areas um, but then you can find a technician who will uh, who will manage the machine on the center who will collect a lot of this data and then give back this feedback in real time mm-hmm. uh, to the person and then this is verified at the back end by some doctor is not that is completely machine driven there is a there are models which are completely machine driven mm-hmm. but then we have deliberated a lot and seen that those are at a risk and with with such huge variation in india's population and and, and ethnography we we do not want to take the, those sort of approaches sure. uh, so is there are a lot of uh, we are looking at productivity and augmentation with ai then how can we transform education how can we augment the education level of students how uh, then there is a huge uh, pressure that is coming on uh, on the urban cities with as urbanization would be increasing mm-hmm. how can smart cities have more ai component built into them more iot devices that can monitor various aspects of the city so these are some of the solutions that we are trying to work with now sure and can you tell a bit more about agriculture because that's that's a uh, domain which uh, the community actually uh, 
has various discussions on you know how can we apply data science and agriculture mm-hmm. in agri- uh, and artificial intelligence in agriculture so can you tell uh, so some- so there were some uh, some pilots that were done by companies in india they have looked at satellite imagery mm-hmm. weather data and the soil condition data some of the soil condition data is available from soil card but then uh, what is the exact moisture of the soil at that point okay. you can do some modeling and some ai and, and find this uh, stuff sure. so there is then then coming and giving precise uh, uh, decisions and and predictions about what sort of interventions has to be taken like intervention I mean, no intervention required everything is going on fine mm-hmm. then you can tell that the, the crops uh, have got certain pests go and look at it and take some action yeah otherwise if the crops if there is not taken care in time the pest might uh, destroy the whole crop so those are some of the things and then uh, there are things like looking at the weather uh, pattern and then suggesting them when is the best time to show the crops and to extract the yield mm-hmm. so some of these things are, can be done very well and there has been demonstration in in certain pockets in india and we are trying to run them as pilots now and during this season we will be running those pilots and see whether uh, they have a lot of impact or not and then we will try to Uh, maybe formalize them as as time goes sure sure and can uh, some of these data points uh, so where do people can get let's say some of these uh, data if they want to work on it uh, see as of now for uh, for this data point i think satellite imagery is freely available yeah. on or is through and the european satellite and nasa's website mm-hmm. uh, weather data is also something that you can get mm-hmm. uh, at uh, at certain granularity sure. and that can also be, be made available Sure, sure. Right. Then you then you can also tie it up with um, the agriculture prices data, mm-hmm. and there is already ENAM or electronic mandis, e mandis, e mandis data is also there in public domain. Right. Uh, so you can, you can see at what day, at what rate, certain vegetables and crops are sold across mandis across India. Okay. So mm-hmm. based on that, uh, people can suggest building early warning system. Right. And if your community wants to develop that, we will be happy to to guide them in this process. so we have to evolve all these insights and put them together into developing an early warning system mm-hmm. where you can tell the the farmer maybe uh, two weeks or three weeks in advance that now potato prices are going down do not sow potato there is enough of potato now now sow so and so crop because that is in demand that is the mm-hmm. early warning system uh, based on price and the market trend mm-hmm. so we have not tied that up yet because that's more of a complex thing we are only looking at whether and satellite imagery and soil condition now but it can be tied up with prices which are again uh, available in in public say, public domain sure. and then uh, do this sort of system us already has some sort of system that they give recommendations to farmers on real time basis we are trying to see how we can adopt them best for our indian condition got it got it very interesting and yeah i mean anything which uh, like this which the community can do they'll mm-hmm. uh, obviously uh, enjoy this a lot so you know uh, i have also seen uh, uh, niti i have doing uh, hackathons the recent one was mobility hack so can you uh, tell a bit about that what kind of problems are being given and and how can people participate in that yeah so so in in, in mobility a lot of the problems that we see today and elon musk and other other people talking about uh, driverless cars and stuff are problems for the western world mm-hmm. uh, there are uh, problems which are specific to india like uh, how can we remove traffic congestion mm-hmm. how can we use uh, satellite imagery to detect potholes and send this uh, reports in real time to the uh, people uh, looking at the whole highway based on satellite imagery and finding out what are the choke points on the highway you can also do it for ncr region what are the choke points mm-hmm. that are there 
So these are some of the problems that you can look at and solve based on publicly available data. Mm-hmm. So we are, uh, and, and this, this area has not been very uh, well researched or worked upon in India. So we would like more people to work on India specific problems. So we have given 10 different problems, mm-hmm. uh, particularly regarding driving, uh, finding out road condition, freight movement uh, related to freight movement then drones are a huge things how the drone regulation can improve developing algorithms how to regulate drones and and see whether drones go into no-fly areas or not Mm -hmm. and developing those algorithms and things like that so we have given 10 problems uh, where we call it move hack where we invite uh, participation from india and the global community to come and solve the India specific problems and they will get an opportunity to showcase these solutions personally to Prime Minister Mr. Modi during the Global Mobility Summit in the first week of September and there is huge prize money also involved and there is one leg of this competition the first after the first shortlisting is done the teams will travel to Singapore where they will get also guidance and and verification and one amount of shortlisting that will happen there. So there's a huge opportunity for teams, corporate students, and everyone to participate and, and to learn more on the India-specific problem and solve them. Sure, sure. And when is the first deadline for this? Uh, mm-hmm. So for the first I round? think that the registration deadlines are around uh, 17th mm-hmm. and the submission deadlines are on 21st of August. Sure, sure. We'll definitely let our community know about this because, uh, again, the problems sound interesting and can have huge impact. Uh, uh, sure. Uh, coming back to your uh, work, so what are some of the you know challenges and learnings you have had during this period uh, while integrating AI and data solutions in in these scenarios? And then you know uh, what would be let's say top two or three learnings uh, in the government perspective? Outside, I think outside, if you talk about data challenges, I think uh, AI. I think always the thing is that. We try to do AI based on what data we have available. Yeah. Often we do not have the best data available. And this often leads yeah. to biases. Yeah. Uh, say if we are looking to to classify things into the hierarchy problem that I was telling, and there are data only for about 10% of the hierarchies, they will get more biased. The model will be more, more biased towards those categories yeah. as compared to other categories which do not have data. Yeah. So this becomes a huge problem when you go out in the field and and try to uh, to solve problems. And there is uh, and people are involved in real decisions and people are involved in that. So, so mitigating those issues becomes a, a big challenge. Uh, and, and how you can mitigate those issues. Uh, data quality, again, becomes a, a big uh, big challenge when working with AI solutions because creating the right variables and right data uh, becomes very important. Then the type of application that we are also trying to build upon in, say, healthcare, uh, we are uh, giving recommendations, say, about diabetic retinopathy or some other things. And we are using, say, uh, things like um, neural networks or deep learning, uh, the, the explainability part becomes very important because we would like to tell the doctor reviewing it about why we took a certain decision. Yeah. And some of this deep learning algorithm, the explainability part is not that great and not that developed right now as compared to say simpler algorithms like decision tree or, or stuff where yeah. you can see everything and you can see, uh, yes, you see and visualize everything. It's very easy to uh, explain to customers when you have to, when customer is, uh, I, I would always uh, do some cheating 
like develop a model using say some other algorithms like SBM or more complex algorithms in neural network but always use a decision tree to explain the same the importance <laughs> the variable <laughs> the variable importance of yeah, I've seen that. That. yes yes so so that so those things can be done but then when you um, talk about deep learning algorithm the, the decision tree with algorithm cannot handle that huge amounts of data so those are also has to be seen how they have to be so I think these are some of the challenges that we we face I think uh, for some of the theoretical stuff I, I am currently working a lot on the applied aspects so okay. some of these things have to develop as a theory for them uh, for us to adapt them sure. uh, and I think this, that is those are the ones sure sure and uh, uh, among all the problems you've worked on which one has been the most difficult to tackle and why I think uh, data bias uh, becomes always uh, always a challenge. Mm-hmm. I think algorithms uh, mostly. Uh, I think last ten years I've been using packages, yeah. whether it's the commercial ones like like SAS, SPSS, or say R or TensorFlow, whatever packages. I think I think uh, I think that that is uh, that is. I think data challenges is the biggest thing when say you have less data on certain categories or um, say you have trained your um, say I'll, I'll give you an example I was working uh, in my role at Accenture I was working um, in uh, in farming and uh, not farming it's more of plantation counting a palm trees in a in a plant mm-hmm. looking at satellite images and seeing how many palm trees are there sure. for a large conglomerate who who do palm oil plantation mm-hmm. it is in Southeast Asia so we were we are doing it very well and I think it was a relatively easy problem but then we we, we found one um, uh, piece of land where there was a pond going in between the palm trees okay, okay. the algorithm got confused <laughs> now what to do with this pond consider it as a plant <laughs> as a palm tree or not as a palm tree so and then you you always don't know whether uh, what will come up today i can possibly handle that uh, that plant but then when you when you operationalize it tomorrow say something else comes up maybe a car is not supposed to be there in a palm tree right. a big vehicle is standing in in winter palm, palm tree so what do we do yeah. So all these unseen cases, and the in the in the world when you are using human judgment, it becomes very easy to because we have this intuition. Right. Uh, but for a machine to learn all this intuitive stuff is not there yet. Mm-hmm. I think we have to go still uh, quite a far way to build systems which are generally intelligent and can understand all these aspects. Yeah. So this 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 small um, anomalous cases brings uh, bring in a lot of challenges. Sure. Uh, thanks thanks for sharing that so uh, coming to your team and you know uh, the work that you do so what kind of tools languages techniques do you use in uh, while solving these problems see uh, for the so it's different ones are different tools so mm-hmm. for energy modeling which i told you which is like very long activity because they developing the models take about one to one to two two years um, these are very specific tools. I don't think the data science community would have heard about them. Okay. They are called message models. Um, uh, message models is developed by an organization uh, called IASA, okay. International Institute of Applied System Analysis in, in Austria. Mm-hmm. They developed this model. The other model is called the Times Markle model. Mm-hmm. So they are uh, more like energy system optimization models. And and mostly countries need to take such decisions. So it's mostly uh, like this. And the Times Markle model is again uh, uh, developed by the uh, IEA, the International Energy Association, yeah. and they maintain and develop these models. Okay. It's, a very, it's the first time I also learned about it because data science courses don't, yeah. don't teach it. <laughs> I have not heard about yes, it. Yes, I also learned about it for the first time. So those are a very different world, but it, it, it's very complex, but you have to give in a lot of 
data to it and developing this model takes about a year because you have to give a lot of data points like for each plant how much is the productivity how much coal you can give and how much coal will give you how much electricity that level of detail for each uh, uh, each ingredient and, and different plants type that is one for a lot of the things that we communicate with the states and the districts is mostly we do is visualization so we use uh, things like tableau power bi click mm-hmm. uh, also use uh, quite a amount of r and python sure. uh, in in our in our work mm-hmm. but that is mostly on on the visualization but also also good old excel is also always there when you in quick something has to be done quickly because often uh, communicating the results to stakeholders um, is 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 like district level charts or uh, state level charts that are there Uh, so that is uh, mostly the stuff we are doing and then there is a little amount of spss and python that we use for handling large amounts of data that is very very limited at this point got and uh, what are the different roles in your team how is it structured and then uh, how can people join your team it is a very very flat thing like we all all work as team members like this hardly any hierarchy mm-hmm. everyone is doing almost everything in the in the in the government so, government scenario so there is no difference between let's say people looking after let's say engineering aspects or no no okay. because we are not developing end to end solutions so mm-hmm. i think engineering aspects is not there okay so uh, has to have a mix of visualization yes, data yes. modeling or even exactly. bi in that yes, yes, yes and is there any way how people can uh, so we we advertise a lot of our openings on our website nitya mm-hmm. so there are young professionals and consultants are, are recruited i think every 3 or 4 months depending on the vacancies so i think you can have a look on our website for and uh, openings sure. there and what do you look in people at time of hiring how do you how do you assess them i think uh, the eagerness to learn new things mm-hmm. i think that is most important okay <laughs> because i am also i am also learning every day new things since i've joined government it's a whole new world for me so sure. i think learning uh, and if you are coming from outside government uh, functions in its own way so learning that way learning how the methodologies work how the processes work is very important to understand that okay. so learning new things technologies they are is very important sure sure uh, and uh, any special message you would want to give to the community on independence day given that uh, you know we are uh, very close to independence day and we'll be releasing the podcast at that time i think data science and analytics is a is a great thing for india i think i, I would request all of you uh, who are interested in this topic to pick it up because we see a huge market um, uh, for this sort of skills in the in india and globally and there aren't enough people to to fill in these gaps this is definitely be really beneficial for india uh, because all these skills can be used at various level currently we are talking about data science at central government level but if you go to a even a small municipality or a district collector he or she will be collecting enough amount of data which can fill up the curiosity of data scientists for a year mm-hmm. but then the very fact is that they might not have a channel today they might not have the data in a digitized format all of these so and and they might not have access to the right data science talents across to to solve this problem but there are problems at local level also and not everything can come at a central level and get disseminated and and be solved so local problems have to be solved at the local level by the local experts uh, so you have to take a, a role reach out to government and other institutions and see how data can help them often it's about educating the people about what data can do 
uh, since data is is and this journey is pretty new often people are not aware of what uh, what are the best things that can happen out of data so that education angle is very important i think and companies like analytics with their uh, become very crucial there in spreading the the word about how well and how this can apply because before i i have worked little bit on government analytics before in my corporate role but then uh, how g- analytics can be used in the government is something that i am learning every day i am i am seeing a new industry like trade or say economics or or something uh, is there and how how data science can transform that industry is something new and then the, uh, a domain only a domain expert only when you sit down with a domain expert a data scientist sits down with a domain expert that the true innovations come out so people have to reach out to communities it has to be a very cross functional team interact with people to 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 realize the whole value of the data science and ai sure thanks thanks a lot uh, dr ravi uh, for your time and uh, it has been great hearing you the kind of work we are doing in the kind of impact it creates and uh, anyway our community can get involved will we'll, uh, really really looking forward to sure sure thanks thanks a lot thanks a lot okay. Okay.